Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Uh, welcome to the Sincast, everybody. Uh, this is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined again by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Howdy, hi. Uh, and music video sins writers Barrett Share and Jay Lalonde, making this a four-way between Nashville, Chicago, and New York. Um, that be a three. Well, it's four people. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, uh, welcome to the Sincast. Uh, but you know when, and we're going to start off with uh, some sort of rant. Uh, does anybody have anything to rant about today? Yes, I do. And um, people are going to know that I told you ahead of time that I wanted to rant about this, but we're actually going to try and do like a, what do you want to rant about segment, like every episode right. and this week I'm taking it and I'm, I want to rant about MacGyver um, <clears throat> because they've announced a new television show based on a young MacGyver and a new film based on, I guess the regular MacGyver and I just, it's one of those times where I almost, I almost made a video to rant about it because just like I got to, I reached critical mass with the Disney live action announcements where they're going to remake all their goddamn animated movies. I got, I got the same kind of feeling right now because we're, we're just raping the eighties creatively and giving the finger to originality. And it really depresses me. Hmm. And you guys don't agree. Well, I mean, it's been. 80s and 90s things remade, RoboCop, Total Recall. I mean, Hollywood's been remaking and sequeling for a really long time, but I, I don't think that takes away from the fact that they're doing it at an increased rate now. Like, the problem is getting worse. Am I wrong? Yeah, I just watched the Point Break uh, original uh, movie last night, and I was wondering to myself as I'm watching it, how high were people to come up with the idea to remake this? Right. Right. Well, yeah. And they're going to make a, a new Zorro, right? Alfonso oh, no. Cuarón's son space. is going to make like a futuristic set Zorro. Um, it's just everywhere you look, every single day, there are multiple headlines about something being rebooted or remade. That's the thing. I don't think they're high, though, Barrett. I think they're very sober. and They're just seeing money, money, and money. That's it. Mm. Well, those, those Disney live action remakes make bank. I blame the Fonz on this. I don't know if you guys know this, but Henry Winkler is the executive producer of MacGyver, the TV series. So it goes all the way back to the Fonz. All right. It's the Fonz's <laughs> fault for, yeah. for this. So uh, well, ultimately what it comes down to, right, is, is they have, is somebody owns uh, a recognizable property and it doesn't take much time to develop that. Um, right. and, and you, and you say, all right, well, we've got all the basics in place here. Let's just reboot this and try to make it. But now sometimes, uh, they can do a good job and reboot something and it's, you know, something completely original. They did that with, uh, Battlestar Galactica, you know, um, which was, you know, of course you had the cheesy 70 series and then it became a much, you know, more complex type of thing. I think a lot of times people look at success uh, stories like that and say, uh, Oh, we can do that with anything. And everybody still remembers MacGyver. So we can, we can make this into something just as, as good as that. Who knows if they will. Um, uh, most of the time they don't, that's the problem. Well, you're right. I think it's uh, from a financial and creative standpoint, it's about 
spending as little money and time to develop a property as possible. Like Disney's like, okay, we already own all this stuff. We already know what the story of Cinderella is. We already know what the story of Alice in Wonderland is. Let's make this lavish production of a mediocre film that will make $300 million to justify even more of them and sequels of them. And it's just, uh, I don't think they want to pay for other properties or to adapt other books or to pay the writers to come up with something creative because it takes longer to get something like that right on the page. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's about, uh, leveraging your, uh, existing properties. It's just, it's, uh, it, it is really annoying. And, and it's, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where they think, well, the, the today's kids don't know anything about that. So it'll seem new to them. And, you know, we'll just go from there and not worry about all the, you know, 40 year olds out there that, that remember this type of stuff because sure. we, we're going after the 18 to 25 market. Well, and the other thing that they're doing a lot more of is this like cinematic universe thing and it goes well beyond Marvel and DC because Universal's developing their like mummy, uh, monster, uh, shared universe films. They're doing the King Kong Skull Island that's going to eventually match up with somehow Godzilla. Um, and so even though some of that is original, at least in terms of story, um, we're still going to be saturating the market with the same universes, the same characters, the same probably score and directors. And the same problem I have with the Marvel films is they all feel like the same exact thing. They all sound exactly alike. There's not much differentiation. And we're just going to get more and more of that from all the studios. Do you guys think there's a place where MacGyver could actually work? Like, I I remember it being on TV and I remember uh, I actually knew it was horrible, but I still watched it. I binge watched what I could at in in those days, you know. Sure, sure. Well, I watched it regularly. I was a big fan, and 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 I know it doesn't. It certainly didn't age very well. But MacGyver's been happening for three decades since it went off the air. It's just it's it shows up in variations like Tony Shalhoub has the germ weirdness, or um, you know, there's always some kind of show with some kind of supernatural genius who can see things or crime scenes other people can't, or what have you. That's been going on. I think from just a core framework of a story ever since MacGyver and maybe even before that. Yeah. It's a Sherlock Holmes is one of those where they keep, they sort of uh, make um, it it may not be Sherlock, but it's uh, it's somebody named something else that has the properties of Sherlock, uh, which actually will tie into our topic later on. But um, but, uh, but, uh, like house was a, was a big Sherlock Holmes, uh, a TV show. All right. So now that we're done ranting and everything, uh, we're going to, today we're going to talk about movies that we feel like have been way underseen, underrepresented, forgotten, uh, that, you know, you just, for whatever reason, they never connected with audiences and, um, uh, let's see, I, I guess Jeremy, uh, go ahead and start. With right. one of yours. And so for me, I sort of uh, define this kind of topic as uh, movies that I enjoyed and enjoy, but almost never hear anybody else talk about, basically. Um, and so the, the one I want to bring up first is uh, Sneakers, which came out in 1992. Uh, we've used it a lot in outtakes on our since videos. Chris and I both love that movie. Um, <clears throat> it's got a fantastic cast. Uh, Robert Redford. James Earl Jones, 
um, Sidney Portier, River Phoenix, Dan Aykroyd, um, <clears throat> Stephen Toblowski, Mary McDonald. It's just full of a, a young Donald Logue. Um, <clears throat> and it's basically <laughs> David Strathairn. Yeah, David Strathairn. Um, <clears throat> so just to sort of maybe entice you to watch it if you haven't seen it, a brief summary. It's about a wacky group of security experts that basically get paid to break into places to test security. Um, and one day some government guys come along and uh, claim to know a secret about one of them's past and uh, promise to make it go away if they do a job for them. And I don't really want to say much more than that. Um, it's, it's really well written. All the, all the performances are great. Uh, and I never think of this movie as a comedy. I always think of it, you know, as a straight up heist adventure, but it's absolutely hilarious. Ben Kingsley's in that. Yeah, Ben Kingsley as, as well. Um, yeah, with, a, with yeah. an absurd ponytail. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. To say to say much about sneakers would be if you haven't seen it would be uh, sort of a that uh, would. You, I mean, you really do need to see this movie because there's a lot of light little twists and turns in it. Um, but but you're absolutely right. It's hilarious. It's one of the, it's a thriller kind of, but it's got a lot of comedy elements in it. Like it doesn't take itself too seriously. Right. right. It's um, sort of like you know I've I've sold it to people as like Ocean's Eleven without the glitz and gloss and glamour because um, the Ocean's movies attempt to be very funny and they don't always work for me. But um, Sneakers sort of perfected that a long time ago. It holds up pretty well, despite the fact that it's using the best technology that 1992 has to to offer. You know, <laughs> yeah, in terms of a, a message machine and everything, and you know things that have to do with that. But uh, yeah, it actually I watched it fairly recently, and it, even with the limitations of the technology and everything, it still could have taken place. You know, been released uh, within the last five years. Right. That was that was my question because I've never seen it, and sometimes you go back and watch these old movies, and you just can't get past the technology of the time. Right. Um, but you're saying it holds up. It does because it's not what works about the movie is the situations and the characters more than the tech gobbledygook, but also the, the tech that they're sort of dealing with. Uh, even though it would be in a different form today, the the ramifications of it are still applicable. Mm. Okay. <laughs> in fact, yeah. isn't it uh, yeah. pretty much? Uh, yeah, I know you don't want to go too much into the plot, but it's very similar to what the MacGuffin is in uh, Dark Knight Rises, right? Yeah, I think so. It's not dissimilar. Um, it's basically, you know, financial global, um, you know, pandemonium is the end game, uh, and I don't think that gives away too much. Because again, I don't think the movie's about that. I think the movie's about relationship between the two main characters. Yeah, I, I, now does that really qualify as MacGuffin though? The it it seems that it has well, it seems that it has more relevance to the plot than something like the one in Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol did. Right, I think um, it's much more uh, important to the story than a, a standard MacGuffin for sure. But there is a there yeah, is he, normally it's very uh, important to Marty to Robert Redford's character though, right? To kind of. To, what to erase his past and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it, yeah, that that type of thing. That's the the more important thing. But but that the you know there's it, you know in mission in, like in Ghost Protocol, like what they do with that is it's a thing you don't know what it does, and they're they're chasing after it because they need to get it because it's going to save the world, and that's all you need to know about right. it. Um, 
in this one, it's very clear what it does. In fact, it's got a great scene involving yeah, what it yeah. does. Um, uh, but, you know, and, and speaking of which, that also has one of the funniest jokes in it, too. Though That, that one scene where you see where it, what's happening. Because um, Robert Redford and Mary McDonnell are both trying to figure out what this phrase means. Um, and they're doing, they're putting Scrabble letters together. And uh, they keep coming up with all these different, you know, uh, these different phrases from these letters and everything. And some of them sound okay and whatever. And then they come up with one that's just, you know, completely not right or whatever. And it's hilarious. Um, But um, but yeah, it's it's never ending fun. It starts right off the beginning. You know, it's this big, huge, like impossible heist thing that, you know, only the very top professionals could ever do. And it wraps you up from that moment forward it never once has a that's true and it's and it's funny in every scene like it's funny even in that opening scene they set the tone perfect with the first couple of minutes and then bam hit you with a pretty hilarious opening joke Um, was this river phoenix's last movie um i don't know if it was the last one he's not sure if it was his last i think a thing called love was his last one um um you know uh, which was a shot right here in nashville um Yes, and uh, but I believe that was if it wasn't the last, it was it was maybe the the last bef- before he died. He may have been shooting another one, and they put that out later. But he's got good chemistry with um, everybody. He's he was so good. Oh yeah. He's oh great yeah. Too. And you can see you can see that the guy was was going to be uh, just a huge megastar. Yeah. If you know things had panned out. Um, the uh, I I often wonder how the movie landscape would be had River Phoenix yeah, not died. Yeah. Um, what how how much how much would how much did that affect Joaquin Phoenix's career and how much did that affect other young up and coming stars like Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, he was poised to be Leo back then. Like he was on that trajectory. Oh yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, obviously that's a movie you you definitely need to go see. Um. Uh, Barrett, do you have one? Yeah, I've got one that uh, may be too far out of left field. I was watching this yesterday and reminded me how much I liked it. It's actually a film from 1999 written and directed by Tim Robbins called Cradle Will Rock. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't hear anything about it. I don't hear about movie people that like it. I don't hear about uh, theater people who like it. It's about the theater in, in the uh, 1930s and the, the union movement and everything. And you go back and watch it, just the pacing, it's very, you know, theater centric in terms of the dialogue and, and uh, how people interact and everything. And it's it's terrific. And, and almost what, what Jeremy was saying about the casting, the casting is insane. Uh, it, yeah, huge. An cast. enormous cast. Hank Azaria, John Cusack, uh, Angus McFadden, who uh, plays Orson Welles, who is really, really good as Orson Welles. Bill Murray, Turturro, Emily Watson. Yeah. Jack Black and Kyle Gass are are the pupils yeah, have of, a little cameo uh, the pupils it. of uh, of Bill Murray and their scenes together are some of the funniest shit and I've seen in in forever. But yeah, that, I thought that was a a very underrated movie. Did you guys like it? Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Um, I re- uh, not in the theater, but I think as soon as it came out on video back then. But I haven't seen it since. Yeah, I I saw it in the theater, and um, I don't know if it and and I don't know if it's just that it didn't connect with me at the time, 
Um, but I, I think especially cause I'm, I was a movie theater projectionist during that era and I watched a lot of movies late at night. That was one of those that just, you just can't watch under those circumstances. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's long and it, and it, it may be very entertaining. Uh, but, uh, but it's just not the right movie when you're exhausted at the end of the day to watch. Um, so uh, that's what that's where where my own uh, shortcomings of bringing that movie up to other people have come from. Yeah, it's long uh, and it's complicated. But I do. Re- it's almost it's almost like an Altman the, movie. Uh, but you know. yeah, yeah, which isn't like surprising, kind of right? Because uh, he he made the right. player with Altman and probably you know picked up yeah. some of his habits. Yeah. Well, yeah, and his other movie, Bob Roberts, is a lot like an Indeed. Altman movie movie too. So he he definitely uh, has a lot of Altman influence when he directs. Yeah, people should check it out though. It's it's very especially if you're into theater, if you're into kind of it's mostly a based on a true story, uh, at least in in terms of the environment. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting. You get to see some uh, some character actors. Paul Giamatti's in it. Bob Balaban's in it. Uh, Susan Sarandon, Vanessa Redgrave. I mean, it's just it's a lot of broad theater actors and very serious character actors that are kind of allowed to be weird characters in this uh, true story environment. And Edward Norton's in that movie, right? No, I don't think so. Is he in that? Is he not? What movie am I thinking of? Thank God for Park. Because there's something else that's kind of like that um, that I can't put my finger on. Are you talking about Birdman? (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, they're both theater pieces. That's why I've asked. No, (laughs) no. Um, Okay, because it shares free. You know the movie Frida shares a lot of characters. Yeah, Frida Kahlo and and Diego Rivera are characters in this. Right, Uh it shares a lot of characters with Frida. So I remember Edward Norton in Frida and not in with Great Old Rock. So that's what that's where that that came from. There's a good scene Um, in here with uh, John Cusack as Rockefeller. Uh, where he oh, yeah. introduces himself to Frida Kahlo and she just completely ignores mm-hmm. him. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. Uh, Jay, do you have a movie? Yeah, I'm waiting for a backlash from you guys on this one because I think most people give me shit on this. But uh, I can't wait. Um, but I really like Rock and Rolla, uh, the Guy Ritchie film uh, from, God, when was it? Maybe <clears throat> 2008 or 2009 or so. Um, an ensemble cast... I usually am not a fan of Gerard Butler movies, but but I, right. I really there's some clever stuff in this, and I mean we got Idris Elba and Tom Hardy and Mark Strong. Sandy Newton is super sexy in it. There's a sex scene in there that lasts like four seconds, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I mean, even like Ludacris is in it, and, I, and I'm not a fan of Ludacris's acting abilities, but I it's it's uh, just all around a fun movie that has a mobby sort of action theme to it uh they were supposed to make another one and by they i mean guy Ritchie, but i think he got caught up in the sherlock uh enterprise and um and so i i think that's been the hold up but i just thought it was an all-around fun movie um well i'll, I'll say this i can't i can't really <clears throat> lash back at you because i haven't seen it um i haven't seen it either it came out i remember I remember when it uh, came out, and uh, I, I actually really wanted to see it because I, I do like when Guy Ritchie goes to that world. Uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is a really great movie, and and Snatch is a really great movie. Um, 
And so I really wanted to see it. It was just one of those things that didn't uh, show up at the theater I was working at the time, and I didn't go out of my way to go watch it. Uh, but I heard a lot of people actually say they liked it. Um, so uh, it, you you might not be alone on that one. Yeah, I I just really like his work. Even like back in the days when he, when like BMW was asking Guy Ritchie to do those like short films. Yeah, uh, little Clive Owen things. Yeah, those were so cool. I, and he's he definitely has his own style. Um, and I I don't know. Like I think a lot of people get sucked into big blockbuster action films, but Guy Ritchie kind of has this like British indie vibe too. Uh, uh, what he does, and uh, I don't know. Uh, Rock and Rolla just uh, stood out to me in this particular conversation. And you can sort of uh, trace Matthew Vaughn from Guy Ritchie too, because Matthew Vaughn was a producer, I believe, on a couple of the early Ritchie movies. Yeah, he directed um, uh, Layer Cake. Uh, yeah, Layer Cake came out right around that time, uh, and it was you know it's sort of a, a British invasion of gangster movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I will have to go check that out because I have heard, uh, a couple occasions people say that's a good movie. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, that this is, it's surprising to me that, you know, I haven't seen Barrett's movie in a long time and I've never seen Jay's movie and I, what, I'm going to come out of this with some stuff to watch and have fun. <laughs> yeah, likewise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, mine is zero effect. Ooh, um, nice. This movie came out in 98. Um, it's a, uh, and we were talking about Sherlock Holmes earlier. This is basically a modern Sherlock Holmes, but it's uh, a little quirkier, especially since it came out in the nineties. Um, Bill Pullman plays uh, Daryl zero and Ben Stiller is basically his Watson um, in this. And, um, and it's, and it starts off with, you know, something very, so Ryan O'Neill is this, you know, rich guy who comes to zero uh, and says, and says, I have lost my keys, Mr. Zero, and I need you help to find them. And so basically it's, it's about missing keys, but, and then, uh, of course, Zero finds out that it's way more, uh, it's w- about way more than just keys. He's being blackmailed and he didn't want to, uh, say anything. Ryan O'Neill's character didn't want to say anything about it. Uh, he keeps getting deeper and deeper into this mystery, and Kim Dickens is in it. It's one of her early roles. Um, Kim Dickens is great is. in this movie, um, and uh, and he he basically he he just goes through he goes through his process and all that. It's really fun to watch. Uh, it's one of the few movies where narration is really fun. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like one where it's like a couple of words, words about following somebody. <laughs> First off, you need to make sure that you're, they, they can't see you and they can't, and it's like, and be sure to get there before they do that type of thing. Um, but it's just one of those movies that, you know, the mystery is compelling. The, uh, all the different little quirks of Bill Pullman's performance. And, and unfortunately Pullman, uh, has been branded this bland actor and that people confuse him because of his name with Bill Paxton, which doesn't make any sense. They're completely different actors. Um, but uh, this was this was Pullman's best performance I've ever seen him in. This is something that was really good um, and nobody watched it, probably because Bill Pullman was in it. Even though Ben Stiller was, you know, a, a decent draw around the time. He was, uh, he, he had done There's Something About Mary and all that. So, um, 
but it's it's one of those it's one of those movies where the mystery is great and there's a lot of humor to it and uh i can't recommend it enough bill pullman yeah. looks straight up grizzled in the independence day 2 trailer <laughs> yeah he looks yeah. like he's really been through it like it's been a pretty rough yeah. rough road for him he had to go into hiding after that last independence day he's been a hermit probably after saving the earth but uh, Zero Effect uh, was also uh, written and directed by Jake Kasdan, who um, got, I, I guess he's best known for maybe Walk Hard at this point. Um, uh, he's also the son of Lawrence Kasdan. That's an underappreciated um, movie too, right? Walk Hard? Um, I think it is a little bit. Uh, yeah, it is. Although I, I think just like a lot of comedies that have come out over the years, um, uh, it's gotten it's gotten that huge following later on. I mean, there's a lot of people who talk about it now. I think, I guess Kasdan also did bad teacher, which is not a good movie, but it might be his biggest mm. hit. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, that's another one. The walk hard's another funny movie to watch. Um, with zero effect, they actually tried to make a TV series out of it. Um, with Alan Cumming as Daryl mm. zero. And it never got off the ground. Um, And that's probably another one of those things where it was like, well, it's Alan Cumming. Nobody cares. Um, Even though Alan Cumming's a great actor. You just heard Alan Cumming's Um, mom's feelings. I did. I did because she's a a rabid listener. (laughs) Unsubscribe. Yeah, that's right. Um, But uh, that's a movie that I felt like, you know, after I watched it, I said, I want to see more of this. And it just never took off, and then the TV series didn't take off. So it's one of those disappointments. In um, life. Well, we plan to make this, uh, you know, a, a topic we come back to um, in the future. Since I think all of us probably have multiple movies we could draw for this discussion. Um, oh, for and sure. I'm gonna just throw um, one more out there that I'm not sure yeah. if any of you have seen it. Um, <clears throat> it's this uh, supernatural romantic comedy called heart and souls with Robert Downey Jr. Anybody <laughs> see this one? Uh, I haven't seen it. I remember when it came out. It's I never got saw a it, crazy though. cast. It's got Tom Sizemore's in it. Elizabeth shoes in it. David Pamer, uh, Alfred Woodard, Keir Sedgwick, Charles Grodin. Um, <clears throat> and essentially these people die in a car accident. And in the same accident, a baby is born. And for reasons they don't understand, their ghosts are attached to this baby for the rest of his life. Um, and when he's an adult, this bus from heaven comes to take all the ghosts there. And that's when they find out they were supposed to use Robert Downey Jr.'s body to accomplish their last, that big thing they would have done or preferred to do before they died. Um, and so the rest of the movie is them trying to convince Robert Downey Jr. that they're real and then convince him to let them use his body to fulfill their last request. Um, it's, it's really unique. I wouldn't call it uh, a fantastic movie in the sense that it's like an A plus, um, but I really enjoy it. I don't know why I picked it off the shelf in the video store, but I don't. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about this movie except me. I just learned about it, and now I'm seeing Elizabeth Shue is in it, which I'll see anything she's in. Yeah, um, I just <laughs> since, yep. ever since Adventures of Babysitting. <laughs> I'm, I'm dude. I'm the president of her fan club, guys. I. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand that, uh, and and I also think Elizabeth Shue got better with totally. age too. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking about her uh, acting, so or? she's 
Both. Uh, I I made it through Piranha 3D with her in it, okay? So... Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I would um, encourage you to check out Heart and Souls at some point. It's directed by a guy named Ron Underwood, um, mm-hmm. who did at least one other movie that you've probably seen, City Slickers. Um, yeah. And also directed Tremors. Um, and so he had a little run there. Another... Another one, Tremors, is another one that you could really kind of talk about. Although, I think it definitely got enough of a following because, what, there's like five of them now? I think it always had a cult following. Um, They ran all of them on TV a couple weeks ago. I watched a couple of them. Uh, They're really fun, even though they're, you know, at times pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of, I just have one more that that I think I've got a question about because it is a cult movie and i know all of us have seen it and i know all of us love it at least chris and jeremy and i is the cable guy and i'm oh, just yeah. wondering oh, yeah. like how beloved is that in the popular consciousness now Cause it's we, come into i, I absolutely think it's one of the greatest comedies i've ever seen it is and i it think was, people talk about it a lot though i think it has did. a lot of fans now okay when it came out it didn't yeah, it just I, confused people because no one was ready for that jim carrey yeah well, and it confused the hell out of me. Um, I, I was uh, I was working at my first theater at the time when that came out. The movie's going to be twenty years old this yeah. summer. Um, the uh, the I remember it, it came out and and he had at that point had done I believe five movies and all of them were manic Jim Carrey comedies. Batman Forever, even you could call manic Jim Carrey comedy. Oh yeah. Um, uh, this one uh, was, you know, Ben Stiller directing and and uh, and Carrie being dark. It was downright spooky the way he was acting, even though there was some humor in it. Um, your classic definition of a dark humor, dark comedy movie. Um, and I even remember Ben Stiller, Stiller saying something about, like, do you want to be the, the guy who's behind the director's chair when Jim Carrey finally doesn't make a movie that makes $100 million at the box office? <laughs> He even knew he even knew it wasn't going to do very well. Right. And it was hard. It was very hard to figure out whether I should laugh or should I be scared. <laughs> and then once you finally kind of like come to terms with both, you can really enjoy the movie. Yeah. And that's Ben Stiller directed, too. And like two of my all time favorite comedies are Ben Stiller directed. Tropic Thunder being the other one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't think that was one of the funniest things in there, too. What's that? His cameo is one of the funnier things in the movie too. The Stan and, oh, and Stan is. and Stan Sweet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically the Menendez brothers parody. <laughs> <Your> yeah, <agent. laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is uh, we've actually done that as an outtake before too. The, uh, I think it was an Asian gang or something. <laughs> I don't think the Cable Guy counts as a forgotten movie, but if you're listening and you haven't seen it, uh, please watch it. It's well, it's uh, up there with all these movies we're talking about in terms of quality. Well, and and Jim Carrey, the other thing about Jim Carrey, I remember The Simpsons back in the 90s. Um, There was some sort of uh, episode, it might have been the Lisa's Wedding episode, where they go in the future and Lisa talks about how he's considered a legend in like 2035 or whatever it is. And, um, And like... And at the time, Jim Carrey was basically just considered your, you know, your average dumb comedy guy. 
Um, I think at time has probably been pretty kind to the carry movies. Um, and, and you can look back on some of these dumb comedies, quote unquote, as classics. Yeah, well, you know, one of my all time favorites is liar, liar. I think that's peak Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a, that's a movie I used to watch all the time. On yeah. Break. We, we, Chris and I talk about this all the time when we worked at theaters. One of the funnest things to do is when a movie's really good is to pop in the back and, Taken the audience reaction to the really funny moments of the really, and that movie, I, I went in maybe every showing to see how people would react to like the outtakes and, and the funniest bits. Question. Everybody, I have a question. Just one more thing. I want the truth. I know more than you. Cool. So uh, I've got a couple questions here um, that I've seen that I like that I think might be fun discussion. Um, the first one was, okay. uh, what are some of our personal favorite action sequences? Um, and my immediate answer to this question is, um, in Lost World Jurassic Park, the trailer in the cliff mm-hmm. T-Rex attack. Um, yeah. I think it's classic Spielberg's action and tension staging, um, where this guy's running all over the place trying to save their lives and everything keeps going wrong. Um, it's one of my very, very favorite action sequences. I have quite a few uh, that I just I stop everything I'm doing if it's on. Uh, but the uh, first one that came to mind when I heard this question was the beginning of Hard Boiled, um, the the John Woo um, movie with Chow Yun Fat. The opening the opening scene at a, it's like at a tea house um, is like. 20, 25 minutes or something like that. And each action scene in this is just like, you know, epic. Um, and it, you know, it, it it's just a chow yun fat blowing a whole bunch of guys, you know, blowing a whole bunch of guys. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Blowing a bunch of guys yeah. away. Hey, <laughs> blowing a bunch of guys away in the uh, tea house. Uh, and, um, and like it, you know, culminates in this like little slow motion, down the staircase slide that Ch- Chow Yun Fat does, blowing away guys on the staircase, sliding down it. Uh, it's it's exactly what you want in an action movie, and uh, and Wu doesn't go to crazy, confusing editing and uh, all that. It's 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 very stylish and uh, just wraps you up. And if you haven't even seen Hard Boiled, that is just that's an action movie to watch yeah. right there. Yeah, it's before he got like super excessive with you know, all of the tricks that we've come to know his later action films. Well, and that's, that was his, that was, uh, when he got over to America. Um, I feel like when you go to America, like Americans are like, well, we like you for this, yeah. do this, do yeah. a lot of that. And, and, and that, you know, that was his Hong Kong stuff right there. And, and, uh, and almost every action scene is ridiculous, epic type stuff in there. I could name two others in there that are great too. But, uh, what about you guys? I was thinking in, in a similar vein and just saw this a few months ago, the raid Two. Oh, and really, yeah. any, of, any of those fight sequences so can be on this list. But the one in the prison yard in the mud uh, oh, yeah. just oh, yeah. telegraphs it from the beginning. But you just don't know what's going to be the the strike of the match to to light it up. And once it does, it just descends into this absolute just this mess. And uh, oh, yeah. I mean, but each, that movie plays on of stars it, pretty frequently, yeah, and it, I always watch it. Always, yeah. Yeah, each each section of it, each uh, independent um, uh, portion of it is so planned out. You know, even in the background and everything, it's just so 
easy to watch multiple multiple times. Well, it's so kinetic too. the The camera is at their leg level basically, and and it sits there and just trains on them. It doesn't. It's it's moving, but it's not like jerking. Mm-hmm. And and it's and it's just so involving. It's and if you ever. Uh, you know, you look at a bad action scene. The reason why we put the sins in the in our videos about these, you can't see what's going on and everything. Compare an action scene like the Raid Two, like you're talking about in the prison yard, to any Michael Bay random action scene. Uh, editing takes so much out of of an action scene. It's it's you know it it blinds you to death with wow this is exciting because it's it's cutting well, rapidly. I would even probably but if you go to the car chase scene in the raid two to point out how oh, immersive the too. camera work is and this that one long take where you're inside and out of like two different cars um, while fights and wrecks are going on all around you and it doesn't cut through that whole shot. Yeah. And and then and, and it also since we're like you know we're on basically a lot of Asian cinema here it reminds you of Ong Bak oh, yeah. where Ong Bak's got that big huge like run up the spiral building yeah. thing or whatever it's yeah, nuts and you like how long does it take to do that <laughs> yeah the, they really know how to do it there I mean you could even go all the way back to like Bruce Lee films you know like basically Enter the Dragon just you know, pick any moment in there. Um, even when he's just being philosophical about martial arts, it's like, there's some beautiful moments, but I I was going to say, actually all the opening scenes to Daniel Craig bond, um, movies, except for specter, which was, I just watched recently and it's just a giant turd. Um, (laughs) um, but skyfall quantum of solace, casino Royale, like all great opening action scenes. Um, but I gotta just no Spectre's so bad, man. It was bad. Yeah, uh, Casino so. Royale in particular. That was a great opening scene. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my that's my favorite one out of that four that Craig did. Was it was that opening okay, scene? Yeah. I also want to bring up. Sorry, I think I just stepped on someone. But um, uh, the the train scene in the Untouchables, um, where they yeah. go to the train station oh my to God. get the bookkeeper and. The, the baby carriage just going down the stairs. And I mean, that's just, that's obviously classic, like De Palma film in my book. And another one I watch anytime it comes on, but that scene in particular is, it never fails to make me anxious. Oh, it's so good. The, you know, uh, the untouchables, if you, if you know the movie really, really well, and I think both Jeremy and I do, um, and you start watching it just, I guess, sort of despite the story and just watch what De Palma does with it the entire time. The guy is just on another level in that movie. Everything in there is just so well done. No, no scene was wasted in that movie. Um, and it's just, it's, 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 oh my God. Yeah. That, that sequence and the sequence where he's, uh, you know, he's, going after the gangster on the roof and yeah. um and the the bridge sequence and all that all that stuff is great. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. If you haven't seen that one, get on it. Well, and 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 you know, I was actually going to bring up yet another De Palma Mission Impossible. Uh, mm. Um which is the uh you know, the 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 infiltration of CIA headquarters. Oh yeah. Uh 
is just so, I mean, it, you're talking about tense. You know, you have that same thing that Spielberg did with Lost World, um, which came only a year after. Um, the, you know, it's got, it's, there's so much involved. It's not just the fact that he could get caught. There's so many different things that he could do to get caught. Like the what, like the sweat dripping down his face and, um, just the slightest bit of noise and all that, even though I still don't like the fact that there's a mouse <laughs> running around in the air conditioning system. Um, but, uh, but still, I mean, there's so many different obstacles to him succeeding in that. And it's, and it, there's no sound or anything. It's so tense. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite scenes, um, in any of the mission impossible movies for sure. I totally agree. All right. This one might be fun. Um, what's your favorite George Clooney performance? And, I will let somebody else go first this time. Uh, ER. <laughs> ER. Uh, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. Uh, it is Michael Clayton for me. Yeah, that's as well. a good one. I mean, it's it, 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 this is so pretentious, but if you've ever seen just the script by itself, just the script is like a, it's world class. Some of the best writing, I think. And then he's just great in it. He plays very George Clooney ish, but. Uh, you know, actually, I take it back. It's I'm going to go back to ER, actually. ER. ER wins. <laughs> Is it is a it's a Michael Clayton? That's Tony Gilroy, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and his brother, I think it's Dan Gilroy, is also really good. Nightcrawler, mm, yeah, oh, nice. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah um, so anything with their name on it, I'm usually I'm all about it. Um, uh, the uh, the performance I like the best is probably Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Another good one. Um, it's he's so funny in that. Um, he, and I don't think he, I mean, he's just consistently funny throughout the entire uh, movie and just the way he's talking, it's got that air of I'm smarter than you, but he's, he's very dumb. It's amazing. Um, and, uh, and you know, just the, you know, that part where he's like, uh, trying to get his dapper Dan at the store, (laughs) uh, it is it kills me every single time, uh, and and uh, and he keeps asking the guys like uh, it's about a week away, and he's like, "Well, isn't this a geographical <laughs> uh, my, uh, a week away from everywhere?" You know that type of thing. Um, uh, he he's just constantly entertaining in that. That's my yeah. Favorite. He went a, he went against type in that role or against previous type, and really balanced his humorous side with with some sort of serious and uh, you know that rapid fire dialogue, which I guess is is. A function of the writing too, but God, that whole movie was yeah. just just blew you away with how different it was. Yeah, I've never seen any mo- a movie like that uh, in that sort of context. You know, making what was it the the Odyssey? Or, uh, yeah, into, it was based into, yeah. in in the the plantations of Mississippi. It was just odd, but it was beautiful. That's yeah. yeah. I've probably <laughs> seen that movie more more times than it. Clooney balancing humor with path, pathos, though, is my favorite. Is up in the air. Oh, it's great. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. He grounds that performance, but but he's got that kind of humorous tilt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's uh, it's understated, but it's a really good performance. I think he went back to the well to try to do it again for what was it, The Descendants? I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if to me, I don't know if it was as authentic as what he did with with Up in the Air. But I think that's where he kind of opened that that whole side of him, though. Well, up in the air, punched me in the gut, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're and you're thinking about that that scene where he goes to Chicago with Vera Farmiga yeah. is just 
just it is. It really is. And he's earned it the whole way yeah. up to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, I like Up in the Air. Yeah. I really like The Descendants. Um, my pick is going to be Michael Clayton for best performance because um, I just didn't know anything about that movie when I saw it. And um, it was a really great film. Uh, but my favorite Clooney movie is Out of Sight. And we'll talk about that yeah. for <laughs> a whole episode someday in the future. We're really teasing that hard, the Out of Sight podcast. Because I have a lot of praise <laughs> to heap on that movie. I really do. So it's good. one of my all-time favorites. Um, another one that I thought might be fun for all four of us to answer is what, what's your favorite part about being involved with the Sins videos or making them? Uh, um, for me, it's um, – I guess it's coming up with that one observation – and saying it just the right way, uh, making a making a really good joke. I mean, a lot of our observations are just observations. That's exactly what they are. You know, it's, uh, hey, why did this happen and whatever and so forth. But whenever you can come up with a creative way to say that thing, um, that's my favorite part of it is when you're in the middle of a script and you can write and you're writing a bunch of daffy stuff um, that is the most fun for me. Oh, I agree. It's really, it's really fun. I'd say, it, I don't think it happens super often, but when, when you write, you, when you write one of those jokes that you just know is perfect, like it just, you worded it perfectly. There's no funnier way in your brain to phrase what you've just written. And it's only happened a few times for me. Uh, and I think I've either emailed or called Chris to tell him about them because I was so proud of the jokes. <laughs> uh, but it's a really good, like in the Empire Strikes, no, in the Star Wars A New Hope video when Han shoots the radio. And I, I wasn't even thinking. I just wrote, I'm surprised that radio didn't shoot Han first. And I looked at it and I went, wow, I don't have to edit that at all. That's exactly <laughs> as it should be. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really great feeling yeah. if, you, if you're somebody who likes to write. Um, it's a really great feeling. Well, and you also did that one in San Andreas that I really like too, which is the objects in mirror are more divorced than they appear. <laughs> was really very uh, outstanding. I can't not laugh um, about it. That's really funny to me. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's what, I think that's what we're talking about here is whenever we come up with something like that where we're not, we're not actually just we're not saying anything that's wrong with a movie necessarily, although it's just something that pops up like I, you could we can go back and, and find what the derivative of that is. And that is, you know, it, the, the, the director wanted to have some sort of cool shot with the mirror and everything. So at first you're like, you know, eh, stupid directors always trying to find cool shots and mirrors, you know, and stuff like that. And then you come up with that. That is the re that's what you really want to say about it. You know, you don't have any anything like really good to say about it, so you you come up with uh a joke that that encompasses uh you know, that same observation or whatever. If that makes any sense at all. Jay Barrett, assume yeah. you guys enjoy working on the Sins videos. What's your favorite part? You, I, I actually just like the process in general. And I also, I, I, I was a stand-up for a long time. So, like, it's nice to not have to go play a chuckle hut every weekend, you know, like, <laughs> because that can get old. But the other thing about it is that, like, um, music videos, I think, died out for a long time after TRL went away. And mm -hmm. YouTube has really offered artists a, a place where they can continue to connect with their fans. And in a way, we get to do the same thing <laughs> and really kind of more or less grow a fan base in a channel that um, understands what they're getting. And we get to 
kind of take the piss out of these really silly, like short movies is really what they end up being. Um, and there's actually really good music videos out there. And I, and I feel like as someone who grew up in the eighties and really enjoyed music videos, I, I actually feel more reconnected with music and, and, uh, music videos in general. Now that we, you know, we've created this channel and, and even if we're making fun of these music videos, it's actually pretty cool to watch. Yeah. I like diving into the minutia of the current culture because I, otherwise we wouldn't really be exposed to the Biebers and the one directions and the Selena Gomez's and the, uh, and the Ariana Grande's, but uh, it, it definitely helps to connect us. Yeah. I like what Jay said. That, that's it, it's, it is a, uh, a, almost a whole new medium, certainly a different way to access it. You know, it's, you used to have to make sure that you were tuned into the, the right 120 minutes uh, segment in on MTV on, on Sunday nights or whenever it was. And you'd have to wait until uh, that video came on. And then if you didn't know who it was, you'd have to wait until the end of the video to figure out who it was and, you know, what album it was on and everything. And now it's a lot more immediate and a lot uh, a lot easier to access. I like it. Did you see that Portlandia sketch where he gets all the old MTV VJs and storms MTV to take take over and return <laughs> yeah. some videos? No, that's so funny, though. Oh, my God. I got to see that. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I said, not everybody likes that show, but I find it very entertaining. Awesome. Yeah, I like Portlandia a lot. Anytime that I get a chance to, to watch it, it's on. It's usually pretty amusing to me. I, I, you know what, by the way, I, I, when you asked this question last night, I did see one that was curious. I, I think there's, I, I don't know if it's the, that terribly oddball, but they asked why we're trying to come up with more scientific uh, accuracy. Is it because we're trying to impress Neil deGrasse Tyson? <laughs> saw that one. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, I thought that was hilarious because, uh, uh, I mean... Uh, I mean, no, <laughs> I guess that's a good, a good answer. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to believe that Neil deGrasse Tyson is sitting here watching our videos, um, all the time. Although I hope uh, he's using his time he, better. I don't know how great would yeah. it be? He's like at the Hayden planetarium and he's just like, you know what? Fuck this science. I'm going to watch. Some science. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it, it's funny. We, we actually got to meet him. We, we had two videos, uh, with him and had never gotten to meet him, but then he came to Nashville with his, uh, his show and we got to meet him backstage for like 10 minutes and it was awesome. Yeah, it was. And, um, and uh, and he said he said that his daughter was the one who brought it to his t- uh, brought cinema sense to his attention, and um, and so like uh, and then you know later on when we asked when we got went through our channels to ask and everything you know he was he was game to do it. The, the thing that I worry about Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, is when we come up with something that's completely wrong, right. and we publish it on our video you know and stuff like that. Um, uh, I don't, I don't worry about it too much, but, uh, but, uh, I think we've always tried to be right about our science when we try to do these things. We're not always successful. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I, to, to do it because we're trying to impress him. No. Wait, is, is there someone really mistaking us for scientists though? Like, is that like, <laughs> like, you know, not. you're There's watching people mistaking us as reviewers. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, like even people who know what I do will say, what, what, what's your next review? And I don't even, I don't even bother to go through the whole, you know, this is not a review type of thing, but, 
um, you know, I just go ahead and tell them, Hey, we're doing Kung Fu Panda this week or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I've, I've never really gotten that. Uh, I, I feel like a review is a, is a way more thoughtful, like you, 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 you're not nitpicking. You're, you know, you're, you're making, you're writing something that's more ser- serious about where this movie is in place of, you know, in, in movie history and what like a poll and, a year or so ago of the top YouTube movie reviewers. And we were like high on the list. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and, it, and I also feel, I feel like if we were truly reviewers, we would try to watch movies before they come out and we're telling the public what we think of a movie that is currently out. And, you know, this is a little, a lot more free form uh, where we're, we're doing stuff that's usually been out way longer than, you know, probably six right. months. And, um, uh, I've never looked at these as reviews. I've always looked at, at them as uh, basically a, a character who has um, had it with movies, and uh, and he is coming up with everything that irritates him um, as as it comes yeah. along. And uh, so that's that's the way I've always thought about these videos. And it's compulsive for him; he can't help himself. He's gone. <laughs> that's off right, and that's why that's why he throws in you know stuff that isn't really a criticism of the movie, but I, I remember early on uh, these videos would get accused of being all about continuity, which is, I, I think is hilarious because, you know, there were, there were a lot more continuity things in the early videos, um, but it wasn't the majority of them. Um, you know, I, I never understood that, but you know, we did that at first and then we just found out it was more fun to, to, not really deal with continuity as much as just the plot and the situation and uh, all that. I also get um, a little bit of um, you guys just do much more joke sins now than you used to. And I always know those criticisms come from people who were not paying attention in the beginning. <laughs> right. <laughs> because the percentage of jokes to legitimate gripes about the movie has always been pretty relatively the same. And we actually work pretty hard to not do too much joke sins, but always have some of them. Right. Yeah. Like anytime a script seems too jokey, we try to cut it down. And, um, you know, um, it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to explain what this, what this really is and everything. It's, you know, it, I, I think that the observations that we make are not necessarily things that on the whole, you should grade the whole movie on. Um, but they are things, and this is why it's so hard to talk about these things because it makes it sound like we're being serious on everything, <laughs> but we're not joking on everything either. Um, there's, we try to strike a balance on it. Um, but well, a good um, example is the um, skip joke, right? Because on the surface, right. it seems like it's just a one off throwaway joke, but in almost every instance of it, we're really saying this stuff on screen right here is so bad. I don't even want to spend time talking about it. Let's move on. Right. And, um, so, so yeah, like I think there are very real observations. Like there are anytime, anytime we do a script, I want to have, I want to have at least six to 10, like legitimate, like big moment gripes in it. Like if you were to do a movie review, you would may you would mention these things right. probably. And then all the other stuff is 
would people really do this? Why would, you know, in real life? And that's completely unfair to a movie that's just being creative. Um, but at the same time, uh, when you, when you dabble in this kind of, uh, you know, you're in this kind of field, you want to, you, we're trying to be unfair for entertainment purposes, basically. <laughs> um, and, uh, and a lot of people will get that. And a lot of people won't. And they're like, you're just being unfair to the movie. Screw you. Um, but you know, I've never been able to figure out what we really are. Like, you can't just call us a review. That's yeah. the thing. You can't call us a review and uh, you can't call us whatever else. Uh, you know, there's no real good label for it. Yeah. We're a mix of assholery and comedy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Emphasis on the yes. assholery. <laughs> I watched that movie last night. Emphasis on the assholery. Oh, it's a oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Very high brow, though. <laughs> Steven Seagal's great at it, though. He really is. Oh, he is. Uh, he's he's made a and comeback. understated, real understated performance. I think he figured out that you know after all these all these years of ass kicking and everything, he really wanted he needed to show a different side well, of himself. Well, that's why he emphasized the assholery instead of kicking mm-hmm. the ass. He wanted to explore the ass. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Cinema Sins on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Uh, yeah, MacGyver. MacGyver. MacGyver.